John chapter number 14, John chapter number 14, we'll begin reading in verse number 12, verse number 12, and uh, the context of this passage of scripture is Jesus preparing his disciples for his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. He's preparing his disciples for the days that lie ahead, where he is will not be present in body, and they're going to be experiencing things they've not experienced before. He begins John chapter 14, verse 1, with these words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he wants to encourage his disciples. As we looked last, uh, a couple Sundays ago, we saw uh, the different responses, and each of these disciples, Peter, Philip, the disciples had different questions and different concerns, and Jesus was concerned with them all. And he's pointing and encouraging and helping and he wants to strengthen his disciples. He wants them to uh, succeed. He wants them to thrive. He wants them to be able to rest in his faithfulness and succeed and be blessed of God in their ministry and effort and work for God on earth. Jesus never once promises that everything they face is going to be easy. But he always promises that they can rest and trust in him. We begin our reading today in verse number 12. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. And shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more. But ye see me. Because I live ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my father. And ye in me. And I in you. You look with me in verse Number 16, the Bible says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Again, in verse number 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Today's message is titled this, God's plan for Christian comfort. God's plan for Christian comfort. How many of you like comfort? Hey, hallelujah. I love comfort. I like comfort in its most elementary form. Uh, we've been gone for a few nights, and I'll just tell you, it was really comfortable to be in my own bed. How many of you have ever had experience that? I'm in my own bed. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Hudson said this morning, he said, if I ever get rich, I'm going to go somewhere. When I go somewhere, I'm going to take my own bed. <laughs> uh, and I can understand what you're thinking. It's good. I'm going to take my own bed. Uh, comfort. I like comfort. I like just the right pillows. I like comfort. And Jesus says something to his disciples. It's very important for us to note. 
And Jesus speaks as God with authority. He says, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you somebody to keep you comfortable. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We read that verse. How many of you have ever been uncomfortable? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. How many of you have been uncomfortable in not just the physical sense, but a spiritual sense? How many of you have been uncomfortable in a family situation? How many of you have been uncomfortable in a financial situation? How many of you have been uncomfortable in life? And all God's people said, oh, me, yes. But didn't Jesus say, I will not leave you comfortless? He did, and it's true. And so today I want to share with you God's plan for Christian comfort. It's not a life without trouble. It's not a life without difficulties. It's not a life without the necessity to trust in God. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. But it is a promise from God that irregardless to the troubles that you face in this sin-cursed world, God says, I'll comfort you. He says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to bless you. I've got a plan for your life. And I'm going to comfort you. I love that verse. I will not leave you comfortless. And I don't have to understand all the ins and outs of what that means and how it is going to be fulfilled according to theology and divinity. When I hear Jesus say, I will not leave you comfortless, I can take him right there and rest in the fact that God will meet my needs. There's a lot to be said about this comfort. The comforter, verse number 16, the Bible says, I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Who's the comforter? In case you don't know yet, the comforter is none other than the Holy Spirit. The comforter is the Holy Spirit. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are working together in perfect unity. Three in one. Co-equal. Co-existent, eternally existent. For the Holy Spirit, the comforter, has a certain role that he plays in our lives. He's a comforter. He's a comforter. God is with you. The Bible says in verse number 17, He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse number 20, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Who's in us? Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. We have the indwelling Spirit of God. It's good. God's plan for Christian comfort. Number one, let me help us. Let's consider this. God's plan is greater. I want you to think about that with me this morning. God's plan is greater. What, is the, what are the disciples dealing with? Here's what the disciples are dealing with. The disciples are dealing with an earth-shattering news that their lives will never be the same because Jesus, who they've trusted in and lived with and served with and heard preach and watched him do miracles, that Jesus, their close companion that they've walked hand in hand with, is going to be gone. Now let me see what the Bible says about that. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me 
the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. I'll just tell you, I read this verse for the very first time in, in a while, and I, I, my eyes go crossed. Because I think, did Jesus just say what I think he said? What did Jesus say that his disciples would do because he goes to the Father? Now, you think about all the works that Jesus did. They were amazing. But Jesus looks his disciples square in the eyes and says, I want to encourage you today. Because I go to the Father, you are going to do greater works than I've done. And, of course, our critical mind says, well, we've not been healing the sick and raising the dead lately. No, but I will say this. Preaching the gospel worldwide is seeing fruit, consistent fruit, people putting their trust in Christ. And the work that Jesus left is a greater work than the work that he had when he was here. Jesus works in seeds. Who designed the seeds? Jesus designed the seeds. A seed is an amazing thing, isn't it? It's amazing to me that you can take a sack of seed and put it in a field. And the byproduct is tractor and trailer loads of seeds. That's how God works. And so when Jesus looked at his disciples, he knew that it would not be easy for them in the days that were ahead without him. But he knew that they could do a work that was greater than the work that was happening while he was present because his plan was perfect. God's plan is greater. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Instead of Jesus on the outside, we get him on the inside. Instead of a body confined, we have a spirit omnipresent. God is working. God's plan was greater. Jesus is letting his disciples know that this is part of my plan and I'm going to send a comforter. I will give you comfort. I'll help you rest. And just because you think the worst thing that could ever possibly happen, me dying and me departing and me being gone is going to happen, I'm just telling you my plan's greater than yours. What did the disciples think was the greatest plan? The disciples thought the greatest plan would be to live and die and reign on earth with Jesus. As king of Israel. What did Jesus know? Jesus saw way beyond what the disciples could see in their finite thinking. And he said, I've got a plan that's not only going to help you, bless you, but it's going to bless the generations to come. It's going to bless the people in Chilhowee, Virginia, 3,000 years later. I've got a plan that's going to help. That's going to do something greater than you could ever imagine. And you can rest in that. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, look, boys, the best is yet to come. And we know that. We know that because of the cross, because of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, because of his ascension and preparation for us, that the best was yet to come. There's no doubt about it. But when he looked at the disciples and he said to the disciples, I want you to know something, you're going to do greater works than me. It blew their minds. There's no doubt about it. And I can't help but see myself and see people I love in the same situation. We've got this idea of what comfort really looks like and what comfort really feels like. We have this notion that if I can keep things the same, then I'll be happy. Or if I can get to this different spot, then I'll be comfortable. 
But I want you to know something. When your apple cart is turned upside down, when your life is wrecked and ruined, when the worst thing you could ever imagine has come to pass, I'll remind you of something. If you will face that when the Spirit of Christ and trust in God, He's promised to give you comfort. And out of the worst of the worst, God has the ability to make the best of the best. You see, God's plan for Christian comfort, it may not look what you've dreamed it may not seem what you've imagined, but I'll have you know something. If you live yielded to the Christ, God's plan is greater than yours. And these disciples, they were blown away. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be gone. But you're going to be comforted. I'm going to change the course of your life. But you're going to be comforted. It's going to feel awful for a moment. It's going to hurt. You're going to cry. But I have a plan. And you can trust me. You see, God's plan is greater. God's plan is greater. Folks, I understand disappointment. I understand heartache. I understand what it is to be done wrong. I understand what it means to have your plans changed, have your life altered. I understand. And I'll just tell you, I don't love it. But the longer I live, the more I'm able to trust and know that God is faithful. And God's plan is greater than my plan. I think about folks in this room have dealt with life-changing situations and just the past week or two. Gut-wrenching moments. Can I remind you? God's plan is greater. I don't understand why we have to face all that we have to face. But I know that God's plan is greater. You know something you can be comforted in? In the most disappointing moments of life, you can be comforted in the fact that if your heart's desire is to please your Creator and your Savior, Jesus Christ, the worst moments of life are tools in the hand of God to give you exactly what you need and use you the way that God's chosen to use you and bless you. And we can be comforted. We can be comforted. Have you ever been with somebody going through a real hard time that knew knows the Lord? And you wonder how in the world could they be comforted? <laughs> how could they be so comforted? Here's one way to know that God's plan is greater. God's plan is greater. Number two, God's plan requires humility. God's plan requires, you know what we think when we come to comfort? We think, I'm going to be comfortable when I can count on me. I'm going to be comforted when I've got enough money to pay all the bills and have some left over at the end of the month. I'm going to be comforted when the house is paid for. I'm going to be comforted when the kids are married and safe and sound. I'm going to be comforted when, how many of you ever have done this? 
And, and we still do this. How many of you ever think about something that is in the near future that you think, if I get to there, I'll be comfortable? How many of you, ever, how many of you have that thought? Now, look, there's nothing wrong with having goals in life. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have in the past had this thought, if I could get to there, I'll be comfortable. But when you got there, you found out there was something beyond that that you needed in order to be comfortable. How many of you have ever been there? It's true. The bottom line is you will never be comfortable in what this world has to offer. I heard this recently. That like 75% of children who are asked what they want to be when they grew up, like 75% of the children who want to be famous at some stage in their life. Why do you want to be famous? A lot of people want to be famous because you think, oh, if I'm famous, I've got money. I've got what I want. I've got attention. I've got money. I've got things. Famous. How many of you have ever noticed? How many of you have noticed in the news in the last few weeks there's a lot of famous rich people who've got it rough, <laughs> miserable. It's true. And so the Bible teaches something here. God's plan requires humility. How am I going to be comforted in all this mess? Am I going to be comforted as I, as I go after and get what I want? No. God's plan for comfort requires humility. Look what the next verse says in our text. Verse number 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now you say, what in the world does that have to do with humility? I'll just tell you something. Prayer has everything to do with humility. What's prayer? What's prayer? Now, some folks have a great misconception of prayer. Some people have this idea, if I pray a whole lot, then that pleases God. Let me tell you something. Your great praying is not something that pleases God. Don't, let me get, don't get me wrong. God is pleased with your prayers. But if your goal is just to pray a lot so you can make God happy, you're trying to work your way into the pleasure of God. Some people have this notion that, Prayer is me informing God of something. I like to say it like this. Prayer is not to impress God. You know, you don't pray to impress God. What can I do to impress God? Let me tell you, there's nothing I can do to impress God. You know why? Because God knows every little detail of my rotten soul. <laughs> I am not a very impressive person, nor are you. I think I'm probably less impressive than most of you, but you don't pray to impress God. What did Jesus say when the Pharisees stood in their prayer clothes and made loud prayers in public places? It made him sick. It was disgusting. You don't pray to impress God. Well, why do we pray? Do we pray to inform God? No, you don't pray to inform God. What can you pray and tell God that he doesn't already know? Some people have this idea that I've got to tell God what's happening. I've got to let him know. You don't have to let him know anything. Why do we pray? We pray to invite God. 
Prayer is us saying, hey, God, I do not have this figured out. I do not have the abilities that are necessary. I cannot control this. I need you. Prayer is an invitation. And so Jesus in this passage of Scripture is talking to his disciples. He says, I want you to know something. If you're going to succeed in the days that are ahead, in a difficult moment, a difficult life, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to declare that you need me. Look what the Bible says. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name. Look at the Bible says again in verse 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, ask. How many of you love that word ask? Isn't it just so much fun when you need something, you can't take care of it on your own, and you have to ask somebody else for it? Isn't that so much fun? Oh, I love it. I love it when I have to ask for something. I actually hate it. You know why men don't like to ask for directions? It's got two purposes and two reasons. One, they don't want to admit to their wives that they don't know how to get there. And two, they don't want to admit to whoever they're asking that they don't know how to get there. Ask. Why do we like? We hate to ask. I, I don't like to ask for a favor. I don't like to ask for help. Am I right? I hate it in my flesh. I hate to ask. By the way, if you have a real big problem with asking for help, then you have got a big pride problem. Here I am. I'm preaching to the choir and the pastor. Ask. Now look, you say, but that's people. Asking people and asking God. No, it's no different at all. You know why you don't want to pray? You know why you don't have comfort in the midst of life's storms? Because you will not humble yourself and ask God to help you. You'll not admit that you can't handle it. We must get to the place where we know we can't handle it. If we're honest with ourselves, we can't handle life. We can't handle life. Occasionally I get to this thought. I've been preaching for 20-some years and I think, Man, I got this. I know how to do it. And then God will send something along the way and remind me that you don't either, you big dummy. And I say, yes, Lord. And I face a situation that's bigger than me, and I have to pray. And I have to ask God. And I have to wait on God to meet the need. Ask him. But you know something that happens? When you begin to realize that I can ask this person and they will help me and they will not hold it against me and they'll help me lovingly and they'll give to me lovingly and they'll bless me lovingly and when I ask, I receive. If I get to the place where I know that I can trust them and I know that when I ask, they'll act. I know when I ask, they'll give me what I need. I know when I ask that in spite of how rotten I am, they'll act beneficently on me. You know what that does? It's comforting. It's comforting. It's comforting to know that I can just ask God. I can ask. And so the disciples had to get to the place where they were willing to ask. What does Peter do in the next few days? Does Peter ask God for help because his spirit is overwhelmed within him? No. He grabs a sword and whacks off some guy's ear like a dummy. Does Peter ask for help because he's scared? No. He denies Christ three times. In pride, he rejects the Lord. What do we do? We get uncomfortable. 
we act out. We get uncomfortable. We do sinful things trying to impress somebody else or trying to prove to ourselves or someone around us that we can handle this. But all along, we need to acknowledge the fact, I can't handle this. And when you get to the place where you know you can't handle this, but God can, and you're just willing to humble yourself and ask, guess what happens? Oh, comfort. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to know. I don't have to bear this on my own shoulders. I don't have to. Huh, I can rest in the Lord. You see, God's plan for Christian comfort does not look like our plan for Christian comfort. God's plan is greater. When you think the worst things possible have ever happened to you, you can trust the fact that God can use that for his glory and for something that's better. God's plan requires humility. We've got to ask. Not only do we ask, but we ask and we obey. The Bible says in verse number 13, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's precious. Verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I take great comfort in verse 14. Not in comfort in the fact that if I ask God for a new car, he's going to do it. That's not what this verse means. There's a lot of people who take this verse to God and try to get what they want on earth. That's foolish. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know what that says to me? That says to me, if I ask the Lord, for his help. If I ask the Lord for his blessing, if I ask the Lord, if I ask the Lord for something very specific, he hears and answers my prayers every time without fail. How many of you ever prayed and God didn't answer it the way you thought he sh- you wanted him to? I can guarantee you this, if you've gone to the Lord humbly in prayer and ask, he's heard and answered your prayers and he has answered according to what is best for you just lately there's been a few things I've pursued and wanted and God said no and as a few days passed by and a few weeks passed by you understand that God's plan is better and he answered my prayers and he's faithful God's plan requires humility asking and also obeying. Look at verse number 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. How many of you love it when somebody tells you to do something and leaves you with no, no options? Do this. Period. How many of you love that? <laughs> I don't. Maybe I'm the only person in the room that does it, but I don't like it. Matter of fact, I really don't like it. My pride flares up. Somebody tells me to do something. You know what my first reaction is? Not to do it. I watched this this week in a child, and it was so much fun to watch. We we see it in children, but if we're honest, we'll see it in ourselves too. I watched this child told to do something. I mean specifically told to do something. And I watched her as she stood outside and thought for about 30 seconds whether or not she was going to do it or not do it. 
And in this moment, the spirit went over the flesh, and she came and did what she was told. <laughs> but she didn't want to. And you know what? I'm the same way. I'm the same way. God has laid out some really plain. People want to get, when we talk about obeying God, the first thing the critic wants to say is, well, I don't know everything there is to obey. Who cares? You know some things to obey, so get at it, big boy. And so God wants us to obey him. God wants to obey him in the simplest of matters, in the smallest of things, in the things that we know. But you know what we want to do? I don't want to obey. You know what we bring to ourselves when we disobey God? We bring to ourselves when we disobey God no comfort at all. We bring to ourselves the product of our own actions. How many of you ever made some actions that really messed you up? Hey, look, when you disobey God, all you're doing is taking your life in your own hands and you're going to suffer the consequences of it. You see, God's plan for Christian comfort is to rest in the fact that his plan is greater. God's plan for Christian comfort is to rest in the fact that God's plan requires humility. And when we ask and obey, we get God's best instead of our error. Number three, God's plan for Christian comfort is this. God's plan is a person. And you'll stay with me just a minute. I think it'll make sense. God's plan is a person. I want you to see something here in verse number 15. 16, I'm sorry. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The Bible says in verse number 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. If you were to pay attention as we look at verse number 17, you'll notice that the comforter is referred to as a he. In my Bible, the word comforter is capitalized with a capital C. How many of you in, in your copy of the scripture, it's a capital C on comforter too? It's because it's a proper name for the Holy Spirit. It's a he, it's a person. He. The Bible says in verse 17, the spirit, even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. That's referring to him, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Neither knoweth him, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. But ye know him, for he, he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, I want you to understand something. God's plan is a person, the comforter. He's the Holy Spirit. That word comforter means called to one side. Aren't you thankful that God is with you and God is protecting you and God is working in your life? That's the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is not a power. He is a person. There's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. People have this idea that the Holy Spirit is like gasoline. Yesterday I got home and I needed a little gas for my four-wheeler. You know, if you run out of gas, guess what happens? You run out of power. And so what I do? I had a gas can. I put a little gas in the four-wheeler. 
And some people have the idea that the Holy Spirit is like gasoline and you're like a gas tank. Like somehow, if you pray hard enough, you'll get filled with the Spirit up to the brim. Or somehow, if you're faithful enough, you'll get full and you'll have more power. Or if you do things well, God, this time, He'll fill you up with high test. No. Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that He's in you. Look what the Scripture says in verse number 17. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. When I got saved, He was in me. The Holy Spirit of God. Some people say Jesus comes into your heart. I believe it. Look at the scripture says in verse number 20. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. Guess what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all indwell me. The Holy Ghost does the work. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. It's a person. It's not a power that I get more of when I'm gooder or I get less of when I'm badder. There's a great confusion with this verse, Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And people can't help but imagine the fuel gauge in their spiritual fuel gauge. And their fuel gauge is going up and down depending on how good they are. That's a lie from the devil. It's a works religion. When I got filled with the Spirit... When I got saved, I got filled with the Spirit. He indwelt me, and He's never left me. He said He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm glad of that. It's not how good I am depends on how much power I've got. I've got all the power of the Holy Ghost right with me now. It's all a matter of yielding. It's a matter of yielding. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine where is in excess. You remember that? Well, what happens when you get drunk with wine? You get filled with, it's not that you've drank so much that you're up to here with it. It's not that you've drank a quantity. When you get drunk with wine, it means it has consumed you. It's taken over. It has changed the way you act. Have you ever heard anybody say, boy, that kid is full of himself. That doesn't mean means he drank everything he has to offer. That just means he is controlled by his flesh. And a drunk is controlled by drink. And the child of God has the opportunity to be controlled by the Spirit of God. He's a person. He's a person. He dwells with us. God's plan is a person. Folks, I want you to know something. God gave himself to you. And God is moving and working in your heart. And He is a person. He's not a power. You see, powers have no compassion. Gravity's a power. I've been on vacation. Gravity seems to be heavier than it was last week. I trip down the steps and gravity doesn't say on my way down, oops, sorry. I know that's going to hurt. Bless your heart. Gravity's a power. Well, the Holy Spirit's a person, and He's working in my life. It's a matter of yielding. You know, you get worried about, 
whether or not I'm good enough for God to give me power to succeed in life, you're going to be a miserable human being. You're going to pick up, even if you say and you believe that you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. If you think I've got to be so good in order for God to love me and bless me, you're wrong. Now, I'm not telling you you shouldn't live holy lives. There's a lot of scripture about that. But you should not spend your world worried that you've not been good enough to have God's power. When you got saved, you got God's power. How do I get and keep and how do I use God's power? How do I see God bless in my life? How do I see God give me victory over the difficulties and the trials? How am I going to face the things that are ahead and for the disciples in this passage of Scripture? How are they going to live life without Jesus there? Jesus says, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to bless you. And the feeling of the Holy Spirit is not something that should make us worried that we didn't get enough. Feeling the Holy Spirit is something that should comfort us to know that we got it all. I got the Lord. I've got the Lord. And I want with my whole heart to do what pleases the Lord. And God sends us comfort. How can I have comfort? What's God's plan for Christian comfort? God's plan is greater. Look, folks, if you're disappointed with the circumstances of your life right now, trust the Lord to use the worst of the worst to bring about his best. That's comforting, isn't it? Isn't it comforting to know that God can take your mess and make it a blessing? That's comforting. God's plan requires humility. If you want to be comforted, Rest in the fact that God is your sufficiency and you need him. If you want to be comforted, rest in the fact that God's plan is a person. And you have the Holy Spirit. And you have Holy Spirit power. And you have the indwelling Spirit of God. And he's with you. And he loves you. And he'll help you. You see, that's where real comfort is. The alternative produces no comfort at all. The comfort is very simple. God's plan for Christian comfort. What's he telling his disciples? Boys, don't rear up in pride and do things your own way. He says, boys, you're going to be comforted. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be used. How? When you just simply yield yourself to me. When you yield yourself to me. When you give yourself to me and you rest in my power and you rest in my faithfulness and you rest in my love for you. You see, the greatest comfort we can all have is the fact that God is good and God's got this. I say this often in my own heart. God's got this. It's going to be okay. God's got this. It's going to be okay. And you know what? There's never been a truer statement. God's faithful. You can trust him. It's not a message of what you can do to have comfort. It's a message of who you can trust that produces comfort. Simply trust him. Trust him, trust him, trust him. That's God's plan for Christian comfort.